As we get started, I came across the words to a hymn that seem appropriate to read to you as we begin, and perhaps this could be our prayer this morning as we look at our study and even afterwards that we might just ask God to do a work like this in our hearts. The name of the hymn is called, Lord, Speak to Me That I May Speak. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. As thou hast sought, so let me seek, thy erring child, lost and lone. O lead me, Lord, that I may lead the wandering and the wavering feet. O feed me, Lord, that I may feed thy hungering ones with manna sweet. O strengthen me, that, I, that while I stand firm on the rock and strong in thee, I may stretch out a loving hand to wrestlers with the troubled sea. O teach me, Lord, that I may teach the precious things thou dost impart, and wing my words that they may reach thy hidden depths of many a heart. O give thine own sweet rest to me, that I may speak with soothing power a word in season as from thee to weary ones in needful hour. O fill me with thy fullness, Lord, until my heart overflow in kindling thought and glowing word, thy love to tell, thy praise to show. O use me, Lord, use even me, just as thou wilt, and when and where, until thy blessed face I see, thy rest, thy joy, thy glory share. And I think that should be our prayer today. God, teach me. Teach me what it is that I need to learn so that I can take those words and speak them in an encouraging way into the lives of other people where they are, with the needs that they have, so that you can be glorified. And God, help me to do it until the very end of my life when I'm with you. I love that hymn, how it ties it all together for us today. You know, we live in a culture of sound bites and sarcasm. Anybody hear any of that this last week? Any good sound bites? Any good sarcasm, right? The power of an authentic, encouraging word has never been greater. Within our larger culture, and sadly, even within many church contexts, we have lost sight of the importance of being people of encouragement. We can tell the world what we think in 140 characters or less, post mocking memes, and spout self-righteous indignation, but how well are you doing in the area of encouragement? Think about how a lack of encouragement undermines healthy relationships. Marriages grow sour when criticism and condemnation occur far more often than encouraging words. Young people grow weary and lack the grit to overcome their fears. Employees grow restless and apathetic when management fails to affirm the good word that is the good work that is being done. Church members feel insecure and belittled when leaders rely on rebuke to shame congregants into the results that they desire. Consider the power of appropriate words, like those found in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 11 through 13. Just listen to these verses as we lead into our study this morning. A word fitly spoken 
is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. A word fitly spoken. Those with the gift that we are talking about today, this gift of exhortation or encouragement, are those who know how to speak words in a fit way. A way that encourages even when you have to rebuke them. How many of you had anybody ever correct you and you actually enjoyed that process because they were so loving and kind. You ever? I've had people like that in my life. You ever been there? It's like, wow, he just chewed me out and I liked it, <laughs> right? Because he was so kind and loving. I mean, it, it happens. Maybe you've never had that experience. I wish that you could have the privilege of an experience like that because it's, it, it's cutting, yes, but it's also refreshing. And, and what does it do? It endears the hearer to embrace change. It encourages them to grow, and all of us should try to become experts at that. Those who have the gift of exhortation are mastering that. They're good at it. They've been gifted by the Spirit, and hopefully they're using it and doing it well. Regardless of your giftedness today, let's embrace these things together. If you are gifted in this way, let me encourage you to enhance your giftedness by applying these things. So what is, what is it that we're talking about today? What is the meaning? Well, this word exhortation, it was read for us earlier in the scripture reading by Pastor Stephen in Romans 12. And it's, it's a word that means to advocate for or to comfort. It, it really is that which is encouraging. It, it encourages people to, to do what is needed in their life, to be encourage themselves to take growth steps and so on. Maybe it's comforting that, that they need. And so uh, indeed, it's, it is an advocacy or a comforting ministry. And those who are gifted, what a, what a healing this can have in the body and, and what, a, what an amazing ministry. It is from the same word. It has its roots in the same word for helper or comforter that is used of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So we're in, we're in, we're in familiar territory here. It's, it's interesting that as this is ascribed to the Holy Spirit, it also speaks about the giftedness that the Spirit gives some believers. And it's just a cool connection to make as we study together. Exhortation is a gift that enables a person to encourage others to become mature in Jesus Christ. Those with the gift of exhortation will attempt to bring out the best in people. Indeed, it is to bring them to spiritual maturity. Exhortation includes rebuking fellow believers for their sins. It's not the same thing as teaching, but it is a call to action. Attempting to bring out the best in people. Is that the effect that you have on others? Maybe that is your goal as you go into conversations and communications with people, that's kind of something that's in the back of your mind. How can I bring out the best in them? You may have this gift if that's the case. There are others, though, who just like a good fight, right? Anybody there today, you just like a good fight? you almost not content without fighting? And boy, we have to be careful of that attitude, don't we? It certainly doesn't fit this 
teaching for us today. Be careful. Don't bring out the worst in people. Bring out the best in them. Let's note this too. The biblical word often used instead of encourage is exhort in Scripture. It's translated this way. And that definition adds even more emphasis. Exhort is defined as to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something has the sense of pushing forward. Those with the gift of exhortation are those who strongly and thoroughly encourage the heart of others, specifically with the forward movement toward maturity in mind. You see how this goes beyond just feeling sorry for somebody? Or even speaking kind words to somebody? It is with this gift that people have the the spirit-given ability to come into a situation that is full of need and minister to that need with kindness while still very, very carefully and tenderly with sensitivity kind of nudging the person forward to take growth steps. Some of you get nervous just thinking about having to do that. And others are like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm made to do. I love those kinds of situations. You may have the giftedness. Regardless, if you find yourself in a situation like that, be careful, be cautious, be loving, be sensitive. But also care enough for the individual to walk with them, taking growth steps along the way. Sometimes those are the hard conversations. Those are the hard words that have to be spoken. Do it in love. Do it in love and sensitivity. The person will grow as they love Jesus, and God will obviously be glorified. How many of you can guess who our example of encouragement or exhortation is today? Anybody have a guess? Oh, wow, did you read my notes? No, you're really that intuitive, aren't you? Barnabas, of course. That's who the person is. Everybody knows that, I think, that studies Scripture and, and understands and knows. And, and uh, I love the fact that, that you knew that because obviously you're connecting scriptural teaching with, with good examples. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to be reminded of it today. And I want to walk through Barnabas' example. There are several things here I want to walk through with you. They're all things that we should cultivate especially those with this gift. So Barnabas is an example of exhortation. And what do we find about this giftedness in Barnabas? Let's just look at that together. What can we learn from? First of all, I just want to point out to you that this was something that others had confirmed. It was something that others had seen in him. In fact, we have a powerful expression of that in Acts chapter 4, don't we? Verse number 36. Joseph, a Levite, and a Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. So here he is being called Barnabas by the apostles. They recognize his giftedness. I believe this was a part of them confirming that this is truly who he was as an individual. They called him this for a reason. I believe it's because it was obvious to them that he had this gift. Now, there were some examples of this gift that came along the way, weren't there? We're going to look into some of those today as we continue to develop our study in his life as he was an example. But this is a clue for us all 
that others can help us to confirm and to know what our giftedness is too. And, and it's just part of how we can discern that. So it's kind of a double lesson there for us all. We also will see from the life of Barnabas that he was motivated to encourage others and practically meet their needs. When, when Barnabas heard of a need, the most important and maybe the first thing that went through his mind was, what can I do to meet that need? Many of you here today are in that category. And I know this because I see it all over the place. I see it all over the place. I saw it yesterday in those who serve to provide a safe space for a family that was suffering loss. We had here uh, the family of Christy Smith. Many have been asking, Pastor, you did this funeral. Who, who was that family? So I'm going to answer that because I know that many of you are asking. Well, Christy Smith is married to Sean Smith. Maybe some of you remember a Sean Smith. Sean is the son of Pastor Joe Smith, our founding pastor. His wife died at a very young age, 48, after a short battle with cancer. And we were contacted by the family to, to assist and to provide a safe place for them to have the funeral and the memorial. And it was just cool to see how that call came in and how people in this church responded to that call. And even the family has remarked about what a blessing it was to have so many who just threw open the doors of, uh, literally, the doors of this church building to welcome them in, many that we didn't even know, never met people before, but yet you were willing to serve them. That truly is encouraging. And that is a wonderful thing to have. And, and that's exactly where Barnabas was. He saw a need and he just wanted to know what he could say or what he could do. He was ready for action. And he wanted to encourage other people with his actions. In fact, we have a record of it specifically in Acts 4. So here he is called Barnabas. This man, verse 37 there in the bold print, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he was someone, we're going to see, who would speak words of encouragement, but he was someone who backed those words up with action. The one gifted here is probably going to do that consistently. I remember I, I received some disheartening news uh, last evening, and I was having a conversation with someone in our church family about the matter, and I just said, oh, I just got informed of this, and I need you to connect with so-and-so because this is a real need. Can you minister to them uh, tomorrow? And, and the individual, their first response was, even before I asked them to get involved, they just said, I just need to figure out what I can do. What can I do to help so-and-so? That's the gift. That is the practical application of wanting to encourage others and come alongside of them and comfort them and be their advocate and help them through the journey that God is leading them. Well, he did this, Barnabas did this in a very practical way. There were financial needs and he just thought, you know what, I'm going to come alongside these people and encourage them. I, I want to minister to them and this is what I'm going to do. You might even see hints of the gift of giving here too, don't you? There is some overlap here with, with more than one of the gifts. But he was this one of consolation and encouragement, as the scriptures say. And this is how he acted it out. 
Well, it goes further than this. Barnabas was willing to take risks with his gift, wasn't he? How many of you have ever been there? You're just, you're in a situation and you know according to your giftedness that you need to respond in a particular way and you look at it and you do some, some risk assessment, right? And then if your mind is built this way, you want to go to risk management or mitigation, right? And so you're just, you're really focused on the risk and sometimes that can paralyze us and keep us from utilizing our giftedness. I'm not asking you to throw caution to the wind. I'm just saying don't allow those things to become an excuse for not utilizing your giftedness. There will be risks that we have to take in ministering to others and in fulfilling God's calling with our giftedness. Be willing to take those risks. Barnabas was. You remember this part, don't you, in Acts chapter 9? Meanwhile, Saul, this is before he became the apostle Paul, of course, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, I think this is one of the coolest verses in all the Bible, I love that, belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. These were Christians following Jesus who is the way the truth, and the life. And he wanted to persecute them. In fact, he wanted them to be killed, according to verse 1 of this text. So this is the backdrop, right? We know that. And then we go to verse 13 in Acts 9. Lord Ananias answered, as he was having a conversation about Saul, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Don't ask me to go minister to this guy. I'm a little hesitant here. I'm very hesitant because I know who this guy is. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried, this is speaking of the apostle, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So Ananias is scared of him, right? The other disciples are scared of him. They don't want to associate with him. They're afraid of him since they did not believe that he was a disciple. Wait a minute. You're telling us that you've been, you've been changed and converted? You're following Jesus now? We're going to have to see a little bit of proof here. But look what Barnabas does in verse 27. Here's the risk, right? This is the risk. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, with his giftedness, willing to take the risk. There was more than one risk going on here, wasn't there? It was risky, first of all, to to come alongside Saul, who was now Paul, because of his past. What if he had a relapse, right? What if he had a relapse? I I don't want to invest myself in him. What if he goes back to his old ways? I, I don't want anything to do with him. Well, someone who's willing to take a risk is going to come alongside someone like that. Even if they do relapse, they're still going to be there to help them and love them and walk with them in the journey. Spiritual giftedness must take us to the point of being willing to assume and take risks for the glory of God and the good of others. Barnabas does that well. The other risk that Barnabas took care of was with his peer group, the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus who already had formed an opinion and Barnabas was willing to be countercultural to them 
Say, wait a minute, guys, listen here. Don't do this. This is the right way to go. This guy is legit. You may not like it. You may not, you may not like him, and, and you may not appreciate him, and you may not want to help him. But let me tell you what's happened here. We need to embrace him and help him and love him. And so he takes a risk, even with his own peers, to exercise his giftedness. There's something else here as we work our way through this list of Barnabas exercising his giftedness. And we see just how dedicated he was to practicing the gift. You don't get to the point of taking risks with your gift, I don't think, if you're not dedicated to to really manifesting this spirit empowerment that is so good for the body and brings so much glory to God. But he was dedicated, and God would lead him to practice his gift. And in Acts chapter 11, we see some of that dedication coming out, don't we? And beginning of verse 22, if you want to follow along there. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. You say, how does this speak to dedication? Well, don't forget geography. How many of you, like me, did not do well in geography in school? Anybody? Okay, so I'll have to admit, I had to Google this, okay? I didn't just know this, okay? I had to look this up and look into this a little bit. Well, Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. If Barnabas was walking, it would have taken him 15 days. If he was traveling maybe by some type of beast, right, or animal, it would have taken him perhaps shorter than that, but nonetheless, this was not a short trip. Barnabas does it, and what does he do? He comes alongside of these people. He practices his gift. He is willing to sacrifice. He is willing to be dedicated in the practice of his gift and invest himself heavily in encouraging the saints. And what was the end result? What was the end result? Large numbers of people were added to the Lord. People with this giftedness are going to see difficult, challenging circumstances as an opportunity for God to work. And they're going to jump in with their sleeves rolled up without a fear of getting their hands dirty and just loving people and ministering to them, sacrificing all the way and remembering that what they are doing has eternal value and the sacrifice doesn't matter because that's why we're here right now. All of that will come to, come to culmination later when we get to rest from it, when we get rewarded for it. But here and now, if we're going to exercise the giftedness, it's going to take a measure, a good measure, of dedication and willingness to invest. Barnabas once again shows us. Next of all, in his giftedness, he boldly practiced it. He boldly practiced his giftedness. He wasn't shy about it. He was willing to step up to the plate and be bold with it. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, we know what's coming, right? Here is this conflict. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town 
where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. Why? Paul was worried about a relapse, maybe. I don't know. I haven't talked to Paul, but it's a question I have. Paul, why didn't you want John Mark? Why weren't you willing to give him a second chance? I think it's safe to say he didn't have the same giftedness that Barnabas did, right? Something was different here. Paul said, no way. I'm not going to walk with him again. He left us. What if he decides to do that again? Now, I'm inserting that in the text. Paul doesn't say that here, but that certainly, I think, is, is a... Uh, logical conclusion to reach. Maybe there was something else going through Paul's mind. I don't know. But something caused him to halt. And here is Barnabas who is really bold in his, his uh, manifestation of his giftedness that he insists that John Mark go with them. He's like, no, we're going to give this guy a second chance. I mean, I, I, I'm, maybe he thought he was vouching for him or something and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand beside him. I think there's something worth working with here and, and we are going to do this. We, we need to bring him along, Paul. But that fell on deaf ears, as we all know. Verse 39, there was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Wow. But here's Barnabas. He was so committed to encouraging John Mark to loving John Mark, even through his mistakes, that he was willing to risk a friendship to practice his gift. Now, I'm not taking sides here in, in the narrative in Acts 15. We don't have to take sides. But wow, what, a, what, a, what an encourager Barnabas was to the point that he was willing to stand up to the Apostle Paul and say, look, let's not write this guy off. And Paul wouldn't hear of it. Now, the glory that God receives through all of this is twofold. Number one, now you have two teams instead of one, right? God's going to receive glory and be able to utilize that for his purposes. Number two, what does Paul say later? He beckons him to bring John Mark and says he is what? What's the word there? Useful or profitable. So somewhere along the way, Paul changes his mind. He just doesn't do it here. But he changes his mind. Maybe he wanted to watch John Mark a little longer and watch him prove himself. He wasn't the one who was willing to walk with John Mark through that journey, though. But Barnabas was. Why? Because Barnabas had the gift. He was able to do it. He had been empowered by the Spirit of God to act in a particular way by exercising his giftedness. Obviously, Paul did not share that. And again, our purpose this morning is not to take sides in this debate, but simply to learn from Barnabas' example that he was bold in the practice of his giftedness. And tied in with that, he was willing to trust the work of God and give one who failed a second chance. Verse 39 of the narrative that we just read points that out. So his boldness is what allowed him to give John Mark a second chance. And indeed he does, risking his relationship with Paul. A testimony to us, isn't it? Let me just run through some basic traits. Maybe you're still calculating and wondering where you stand with the gift. What are traits of exhorters? They, it seems to be indicative of a few things. These are people who tend to be very practical in their thinking. What can be done to help somebody? 
they're result-focused too. They, they want to accomplish something in particular in the lives of people. It does involve a measure of teaching, maybe not the gift of teaching, but it's certainly, if you're going to help people take growth steps, don't you think that Barnabas probably taught John Mark a thing or two to help him in his journey? Of course he did. You have to solve some problems along the way. You will have to speak encouraging words. You're obviously going to have to build relationships with people in order to minister in this way. And, and let me just uh, ask you to consider the importance of that today. In, in our formal, modern church experience, we come in the building. Uh, if we mingle with people, it probably happens before or after the gathering, right? We catch each other in the foyer. We catch each other in the, the walkways here in the worship center. And uh, we talk for a little bit. And then we find our place to our seats. And, and we're here to sing and we're here to listen uh, to the word and hopefully apply some things and maybe after it's all over we leave and on our way out we're we're certainly going to connect with a few people and have some conversation hopefully that's meaningful but can we really build relationships that way is that where relationships are built and the answer is no that's not really where re relationships might be started in that environment, but it's really hard to build a relationship. Can you imagine if you tried to do relationship building while I was teaching this morning? That wouldn't end well, would it? That would be a problem. It would be a real problem. And it's not appropriate to try to do that. I understand. But there is a certain effort, I'll use that word, that we need to put into going beyond what happens in this room with the people that we attend gatherings with so that we can build relationships with them, so that we can practice our spiritual giftedness and pour into them and, and accomplish the purpose for which we've been given the gift to begin with. But many, many people don't do that. Whether you have the gift of exhortation or not, it, it is certainly something that you need to ask yourself about and take an inventory in your own life. Am I really developing deep relationships within God's family so that I can pour my giftedness into them because that's why it's been given to me? And if that isn't happening, then we are not utilizing our giftedness in the way that, that God teaches us in his word that we're supposed to. These things have been given to us for the good of the body. And if we don't relate deeply at any point in our time together, and obviously it has to be done outside of our worship gatherings for that really to happen, we have to be intentional with it. If it's not happening, then something is desperately wrong. Something desperately wrong. So consider that with me. If you only take one action step away from today's time in the Word, let it be this one that you would think about developing deep relationships for the purpose of using your spiritual giftedness for the good of others in the family. And maybe your giftedness can be used for those who aren't yet in the family. Maybe God uses it as a mechanism to draw them to himself so that they will follow Jesus eventually. I think he uses our giftedness in that way too. Relationship oriented. Think about it. And then motivational, right? Trying to help others take growth steps. It was that scenario that I tried to paint earlier that you're in a situation where someone needs love and needs sensitivity, 
but you can also see they need to take some growth steps. And so you have to balance that. You don't want to come in with a hammer and tell them everything they need to do, right? You got to love them, and then you got to figure out how do I kindly and graciously help them grow and motivate them toward change that they need in their life. Sometimes those are not easy things to discern. And that leads us to the next one. This is a discerning gift for sure. And if you run into practicing exhortation without discernment, you will soon find it to be a disaster. So be careful. Let me ask this question as we near the end of our time today. Do you have the gift of exhortation? We've looked at an example of it, definition of it, some of the characteristics of it. Let me just give you some questions that we are not going to answer today, but that you could answer for yourself. Do you have people who come to you for encouragement? Maybe they're affirming that you have the gift. They see it in you, just like the apostles saw it in Barnabas. Maybe that's what's going on. You say, boy, I always found myself in, in this situation. Well, maybe that's a sign that you have the gift. Do you have a strong desire to help others apply the scriptures to their lives? Maybe you're not the teacher of the lesson, but you're the one that likes to come alongside of people and help people apply the lesson. You might have the gift of exhortation. Do you seek for ways to build up the body of Christ so that when you hear something in an announcement or you see something in the body, you think, wow, how can I assist and build people up and encourage them in this situation? You might have the gift. And then are you someone who that people would come to when, when they're having a, a difficult time? They seek you out, a crisis uh, a major loss, a huge disappointment, devastation, whatever, and you're someone that people gravitate toward because they know perhaps you would have the gift then of encouragement. I want to share with you a couple of things in closing. The first one is this, and this was written in, back in 2019 it just speaks to the power of, of encouragement in the family and uh, t uh, the effect that it has on others. Very simple and very practical. It actually came from uh, 2019 writing in Our Daily Bread, actually published in Canada. When he was a young boy, Benjamin West attempted to draw a picture of his sister, but he succeeded only in making a mess. It sounds like me. I, I think I failed cutting in kindergarten. Not very artistic. His mother saw his creation, kissed him on the head, and remarked, why, it's Sally. She created an identity out of the mess. This was Benjamin West. He would later say that it was that kiss that made him an artist and the great American painter that he would become. Encouragement is a powerful thing. Like a child learning to paint, Paul didn't have much credibility in, in his earthly ministry early on, but Barnabas affirmed his calling. It was through Barnabas' encouragement that the church accepted Saul as a fellow believer. Barnabas would also encourage the fledgling church of Antioch, helping it to become one of the most influential in the book of Acts. And it was through Barnabas' encouragement as well as Paul's that the Jerusalem church embraced the Gentile believers as Christians. 
So in many ways, the story of the early church is really a story of encouragement. Think about that. Think about that and how your place is to be found in this wonderful ministry. If this is your gift, let me encourage you to enhance it today and to take growth steps to exhibit it even more strongly. If it's not your gift, let me encourage you to consider how you may exercise certain traits of this gift for the good of our body here and for the glory of God. Just trusting him to help you, to give you the discernment that you need to exercise these things for his glory. So that's our study today. I hope it's helpful and beneficial to you. As we consider this, and as, as we pray in just a moment and consider our response of worship, we all need encouragement ourselves. And we need to be looking to the one who will give us what we need so that we can pour it out. Don't forget the prayer that we started with in that hymn. That was a very God-centered, Christ-centered hymn. And it drew our attention right back to God, right back to Jesus, our Lord, and asking him to be the one that would encourage us, teach us, strengthen us, so that we could in turn do it to others. You can't practice giftedness on empty. You need to be full. And you get that filling. You get what you need from your loving Lord and Savior. So we're going to pray, and right after we pray, we're going to remind ourselves of this by singing, Turn Your Eyes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Help us to look to him. I pray that you would just help us to remember him profoundly, that, that who he is and, and how he ministers to us would be real and help us to take that same ministry and use it in the hearts and lives of other people that they would grow and be encouraged today. God, strengthen those with the gift of encouragement and help those without the gift of encouragement to cultivate these Christian graces that we have talked about in whatever way you enable them and lead them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.